0: How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I am here with Craig Hauben. Craig is the CEO at Metaspend and was named Industry Era Magazine's one of the Ten best CEOs of 2020. Prior to joining MediSpend's leadership team, he was the VP of Coding Business at Health. So, Craig, welcome, man! Happy to have you on the show. Real excited to talk about you and your uh, your, your journey.
1: Ryan, real pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to to chat and, and talk a little bit about the exciting things we're doing here at MediSpend.
0: Yeah. So, so I I am I, I am too, man. Like we're we're chatting about your business. I think there's some really really cool things that I didn't even know existed that you guys are focused on. So I can't wait to share that with with uh, with you, the listener. And so why don't we do a quick revenue rundown so everybody has a little bit of context on where you're kind of at in your journey, what you're working on, team size, all that. So just to kind of kick things off, Craig, where are, you, where are you at ARR-wise?
1: So we're right in the low 20 millions range, growing anywhere between 25 and 40% a year. It's been a nice. really good, good
0: nice. couple of That's years awesome. for us. Good for you, that's fantastic growth. Okay, what's your go-to-market strategy? You know, we
1: really try to tailor our messages to the various buyers at our customers. We have a wide variety of buyers and, um, and stakeholders. So we try to help them understand the value that we bring to them, because the value for each of them is a little bit different. So we do a lot of online marketing, direct marketing, long-term relationship marketing, we do conferences, but it's all in the tense in the sense of trying to help them understand what our solutions can do for them and their business.
0: Okay. So I would you say like in terms of your motion, if you're you're dealing with multiple people, is that more of like a um account-based marketing slash enterprise sales motion, like top down motion, or um when I say go to market, I'm referring to like more enterprise sales, product led growth, marketing. What would you say is the, the key go to?
1: So we're we're enterprise sales. We're we're generally okay. selling into a chief of something, whether it's a chief, a compliance officer, chief commercial officer, and then have a whole series of stakeholders around that.
0: Okay, love it, man, love it. Uh, and then, what's your team size? So we're
1: about 115, 120 people today, still growing as the business keeps growing.
0: Okay, awesome. And then can you just walk through your solution uh, in terms of a high level, so everybody has some context in terms of what you offer and so that'll frame it up for them?
1: Love to. We have two main products. One is what's called transparency reporting. Manufacturers all around the world have requirements um, in 60 or more jurisdictions or states uh, or countries in the world where they have to tell the jurisdiction what transfers of value they gave to a physician. What's that mean in layman's term is if I went to the doctor's office and I gave him a box of donuts, I got to report it. Or I may have to report it, depending where it is. So our transparency solution handles all of those global record- reporting requirements and also allows them to aggregate all of their global data into our solution so they have a source of truth for all of that data. Um, which has been uh, a solution that's been around since uh, Obamacare came into place. Actually, pre-Obamacare, Obamacare was 14. These really started around 12 and 13. That was when these requirements started. Our second main solution is what we call engagement manager. And this allows a manufacturer or life sciences company to have a contractual relationship with a physician or a hospital in a way that helps them know they're doing it the right way. That's things like, you know, hey, I can't pay somebody a million bucks to come work for me for an hour, right? That would be some kind of inducement or bribery. I can't take two physicians who have the exact same qualifications and pay one 10 times more than the other. You might say that's bribery. Um, so there's contracting. there's a validating that happened uh, in the right way, and then making sure that the payments happen properly. Those are our two big products. We also have uh, smaller products around uh, insights uh, and analytics around those two products, as well as grants and studies management, uh, which is another workflow system to help them process grant requests for their drugs or devices.
0: Okay, so roughly like four product lines if you had to kind of summarize it. Yeah, with two core products and then kind of add on components. Okay, that's awesome. Are you bootstrapped or funded? We are funded.
1: Uh the company was originally bootstrapped and about seven years ago, private equity firm got involved with the company. And then just this past year we recapitalized with a bigger uh private equity company by the name of Susquehanna Growth Equity.
0: Excellent, man. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, how long were you bootstrapped for?
1: We were boot so technically the company was bootstrapped for I think fourteen or fifteen years. Wow. The company okay. started actually doing some event management stuff and as regulations changed, they pivoted the whole company to move around transparency. Okay.
0: So that's that's interesting, man. Like you were bootstrapped for, you know, that 14 to 15 year range and now you're taking a couple of rounds of funding. Like and I I love asking this question because I've had you know I had a founder on Sam Jacobs who bootstrapped to ten million and then decided to take on funding right um, so what what was your reason for it what and maybe did it happen while you were there or was this something that that happened prior to you coming on
1: so I came in just after a couple of years after the first round uh, and listen um, we bootstrap or bootstrapped while we could because the market was great and then. Really moved into harder core technology solutions, which required more capital investment. And that really was the driver behind uh, the first round. And honestly, and the the driver behind the second round is we still see a long runway of growth and success. There are more products that we see building, more solutions bringing to the market. And we needed a a type of capital partner who could support us in those needs.
0: Okay. Totally makes sense. So, so that's awesome context on you, your organization, just kind of how you've gotten to where you're at today. What about like looking forward? So, or I should say in reverse. So how did you get to this point, right? Like talk about the journey because, you know, the, it takes a lot to be leading a, a $20 million plus company. And so I just love to hear like how you got here. What are some of the challenges you ran into along the way? And um, I think that'd be amazing to hear.
1: In some ways, I think my story is classic and old school in that I kind of came up through the ranks and, and learned various things in order to get me here. But uh, I also know from another perspective, um, I was a little bit of an iconoclast as I came in my career. When I started my career 30 years ago, um, I had lots of, uh, lots of luck, but also didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I, I got lucky in my first job. I actually ran a P&L for a public company at the time. Uh, in fact, this, they were a public companies. just got, got sold recently. Um, I kind of liked that, did that for a couple of years, and then I was like, oh, I wasn't really sure what I did, and I thought I might want to get into hardcore technology. So I went uh, and ran half of the tech business for, uh, for another company and learned a ton about technology. I had coding teams working for me, and we re-engineered applications and did that kind of stuff. And a couple years into that, I said, "Ah, I don't know if I really want to do that." So I went to Big Six Consulting um, and learned a ton about business process, about reengineering, uh, about helping companies build to grow. Uh, and you know, like a lot of people, a few years in, I was tired of the travel. I said, "I want to, I want to be home." And kind of the story of of moving and doing different things actually became the baseline for me. I kind of, sometime in my late twenties and early thirties, decided. I didn't want to be the X guy. I didn't want to be the claims guy. I didn't want to be the tech guy. I just wanted to be able to do lots of different things. And in my late 20s and 30s, that was hard because everyone was looking for you know a, a, a peg to put in a hole of the, of the same shape. Uh, but you know when I look back at it, that really was one of the secrets to my success. By the time I got into or ready for these types of roles, I had done so many different things. I had done finance. I had done technology, I had done process, I had done operations, um, I had done all kinds of sales work, uh, and it really was that kind of well-roundedness, if you will, I think of the old baseball platoon player, um, which really gave me, I think, A, an interesting perspective on how to run a business, and B, uh, the experience of seeing lots of different things. And that's what I bring to um, to, to my my job here as a CEO for my other executive jobs is you know i bring kind of a fresh perspective i bring a broad perspective and i'm really a guy who's focused on how do you grow the company how do you make it bigger as i say to many i'm when you when you have a really well-run company you just want to tweak a little bit craig's not the guy you want to call when you want to explode your growth you want to create new products you want to shake things up you want to break glass that's what i do and i've been able to do that because of the great wide experience i had when i was younger
0: yeah, I mean, to, to have that wealth of experiences to start off on the P&L side, you know, fairly end of your career, that's uh, very unique. Um, then being in tech, you know, then also have the, the revenue drivers. I, you know, I think, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a great roadmap. And then consulting as well. Um, so you see, you probably had a ton of cycles just seeing what works and what doesn't, right? Yep. What did you focus on?
1: Primarily business process and systems integration. I spent most of my career until recently in the health insurance and health plan world. And so I was working for the largest insurers uh, in the U.S. and in the world, and I was doing uh, business process related to large mergers. I was doing super large system integration works over, uh, over national companies, uh, and I did a little bit of, um, I was just a little bit of a specialist in claims and claims processing, so I would also kind of go from project to project and look what other consultants were doing and kind of give them some guidance and help them along the way.
0: Okay. So you mentioned like, hey, I'm the guy that they come to when they want to break some glass, they want to really have rapid growth. So give me some examples of like what you're talking about or things that you've done to make that a reality.
1: Yeah, so as an example, I was a founder of a provider owned insurance company here in New York by One of the largest providers in the country, and when we, when we as a group decided to start that company, that was really about trying to change the cost curve for members, about making a totally different kind of association between clinical and medical quality and an insurer, and really trying to make an insurer be more of a trusted partner in your life rather than how many people think of it as just the person who says you can't get a procedure. Um, and you know, that that's the fundamentals of, of breaking glasses is, is, is building something new that isn't about conforming with what everyone else is already doing, but looking at all of the weaknesses of what's there today and see if you can really take a hammer out and break down those barriers and really create something really new and interesting.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, it's kind of how Steve, Steve Jobs positioned the iPhone originally, right? So that's really good perspective because there's been a lot of awesome product development in that area by looking at all the flaws and what exists currently. So how did you, cause you, you have the enterprise sales motion, right? Is that, is a primary vehicle, you know, how did, it, did you, did you work in that on the consulting space? Did you have selling capability or selling responsibility? I should say, right. we within the consulting area or where did you do that? How did you kind of build that? Cause that, I mean, that, I had to build an enterprise team from scratch, go to market, all that stuff. So I'm just curious because, You have a lot of different areas. This is an area that I was nearly focused on, so we'd love to hear your feedback on that.
1: So so even my experience in sales has been oddly broad. I worked for what is one of the largest regional health plans in the United States back in the late 90s and early aughts. When I started working for them, they were the 17th largest health plan in New York. When I left, they were the 7th. And we did that through pure guerrilla marketing literally 1500 sales reps all over new york city getting our v's that were wrapped in our logo putting off you know offices and enrollment sites in, in doctor's offices so i learned how to do guerrilla marketing um when i was consulting i you know i did i sold how consultants consult or sell which is you know you go in you look at what they're doing you kind of you give them a proposal, you're talking to someone super senior, you got a next kind of deck, you say, hey, look, this is how I'm going to help your business be better. So I learned uh, working with partners when I was younger doing that. Um, I also got a chance to lead bigger sales organizations where we, had, um, we were selling through other people. So I learned how to do uh, broker-oriented sales. And I've also worked um, uh, in places where I was the face of the company. So I was closing large partnerships closing large deals. So I have a, an oddly broad a set of experience uh, in sales, but interestingly, I never had to carry a bag in my life. So I've done a ton of sales, but I never got paid as a pure salesman.
0: Okay, so how so? How are you, which of those, cause you, you leverage a lot of different things, right? The guerrilla marketing, the partner of the channel, um, more kind of like the attractive character face of the company approach. What are you leveraging the most now? What do you see working really, really well?
1: Where I leverage most of my time with sales today is around value prop and about messaging and about helping not only our customers, but even our employees understand the power of what we've built and how what we've built is unique, how it can really help our customers run the businesses the way they want to, but run them in a safe a set of waters if you will without getting themselves in trouble and that's what i focus on that's you know it's the um that's the hardest part sometimes is taking something that's complex and explaining it in a very simple way and i spend a lot of time doing that
0: okay how about your team i mean like are you leveraging a lot of the same strategies you mentioned um you know for demand gen in terms of guerrilla marketing are you using more of an abm approach partners what what's kind of the best the best path that you're seeing work well for you
1: so we're for us. I think the the two best paths that work for us are just direct person to person marketing and developing a relationship, combined with I'll call it guerrilla um, internet marketing. We're using a series of different tools, whether it's it's webinars or direct mail, email or other things, to be able to get attention so that we have an opportunity to build that relationship. Those are the things that work best for us. We don't have. Uh, I don't have 50,000 buyers uh, in my market. I probably have, I don't know, 5,000 buyers and Mm -hmm. I've got another 10,000 kind of stakeholders. So it is a much more heavily focused marketing effort to be able to get in to a prospect, to be able to push out the noise of the market and help them understand how we can help them.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, that definitely makes sense. It's a much tighter market. Do you, do you have BDRs then helping set up leveraging an outbound motion to get the appointment scheduled with, with the C levels or how does that kind of a handle?
1: So we actually we, we didn't until recently. we have tried, I think most approaches. Um, we are big into experimenting and seeing what works well. We have tried outsourcing BD. We have our own BD people. We've asked our uh, senior account executives to do their own BD. We've had marketing do BD. You know, I'm a big believer in making lots of small bets and really continually okay. rethinking and reinventing ourselves and how we go to market so that we can as the market evolves continue to find the most effective ways
0: to get there. Okay. I like that concept and then, you know, small bets test. So, what would you say is the biggest mistake you've made along the way then, which is, you know, everybody makes mistakes, right? But like as you're going through your leadership journey, um like now over at you know, men spend, where what would you say is the biggest mistake you've made?
1: Well, if I'm thinking kind of in, maybe a little more broadly in my career, I think the biggest mistakes that I've made have been about, um, maybe I'm just going to generally call it overthinking things and not trusting uh, not trusting myself, thinking too much about trying to be what I thought other people wanted me to be or not uh, not being who I thought I needed to be because I was afraid it wasn't what people wanted me to be. Uh, you know, that is, I think, for most people, a leadership journey. And that did take me quite a while to to be comfortable enough to be, to be able to say, hey, look, this is who I am, and, you know, I think it's what you need. And if it's not what you need, like, that's okay, because you can always find someone else who's going to give you what you need. But <laughs> what I'm going to give you is going to be authentic and going to be transparent and honest. Um, and it took me a long time to figure that out, and to stop trying to be kind of, you know, what you read in the Harvard Business Review or what you you know, read in ink, but just to be me and to uh, to let me um, kind of run and,
0: and and be what has made me successful. It's so funny that you say that because literally that's come up like three times in the last 24 hours. I was just at a mastermind that came up, um, it came up here and, you know, I went to, I don't know, man, I think there's some brainwashing at the corporate level with this whole thing where you have to be a robot, you have to be professional, you have to do this, you have to, you know what I'm saying? And so I think it it really, really, it, any kind of leadership position, plus you got to be, you got to you gotta watch what you say, you got to watch who you say it to, you got to be oh so God, politically yeah. correct. So I think that like, that makes people like so scared to like go out on a limb and be truly who they are sometimes. Would you agree or disagree?
1: I do. Th- I think there's two things. I think that th- you're right that the window of what's acceptable whether it's language or behavior has definitely narrowed there's no question and I, and you know i could argue either side that that's good or bad for for business i think that that's in my mind separate from being who you are naturally cuz you can be authentic and real but also choose your words intelligently right. Um, right. and i do I, but i do think that you know being um, a ceo in these times is much more challenging than maybe it was 20 years ago for these reasons and you know for me you know being a ceo during covid a ceo during the great resignation uh, a ceo during the me the me too movement a ceo for um, for private equity investors who have a different perspective than an independent board it, it's challenging and i think that uh for me it's those challenges that what get me up in the morning because i love dealing with these challenges and trying to succeed within them every day
0: yeah i mean that's a positive outlook and there there are a lot of different people you got to keep happy i don't want to say stakeholders because most people immediately think of like shareholders when they think of that but um but yeah i mean like i work for a private equity company uh i was had an exit there and um they look at things very differently in terms of what their expectations are and how they want the company to grow. And it's funny now because I I work with folks that are VC backed that have different investors and it's totally different, um, Mm -hmm. expectations. And it totally changes the way the organization runs. I even have a former client. that's the CEO of a publicly traded company. And so there's nuances that he tells me about as well. So, um, so really, really cool. Okay. I know we're getting close on time. I have a couple more questions for you and then um, we'll kind of wrap things up. But so so Craig, what would you say is like your number one single biggest challenge to growing revenue now um, where you're at, 20 million plus. I know there's different problems at every stage. So I just love to hear what your number one biggest challenge is right now.
1: I mean, I would say I'm gonna give you two just cause I can. You know, it, it's with any <laughs> company, it's, it's it's execution. It's just kind of day in and day out being diligent you know, uh, mining RPs and Qs, really driving any, every customer, driving product enhancements, um, driving all of the elements of growth while, being, while, while you're going through explosive growth also means, you know, creating a, a good company along the way as you get bigger and you've got to deal with culture, you've got to deal with personalities. You know, that is definitely day to execution is certainly part of it. But I think for us, because we're super focused on innovation, We're super Mm -hmm. focused in giving our customers interesting insights into their business. We're super interested in helping our customers grow their business in a safe way. And there's a lot of noise in the market. There's always a lot of noise in the market. Most of my competition is focused on status quo. I've got a great product. I don't want anything to change. We're focused on the future uh, and driving the future and helping people think differently. And that's always a challenge.
0: So you're saying execution on date? Like, can you get a little more specific on that? Is it specific programs or or what? Because execution should be kind of a broad area. I think
1: of execution like you can think of basic sales execution. When there's an RFP, do we work hard enough on it? Do we spend enough time making sure that we're not just giving stock answers we've given to someone else, but we're really uh, answering the questions that uh, that are being asked us. Sales execution is. Do we really understand the customer have we gone through uh you know a deep enough analysis to know who the stakeholders are are we talking to the stakeholders are we understanding what their needs and worries are and 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 likewise speaking to our value and helping them understand how we drive them value uh it's things like are we diligent in going through our our mills and and um uh you know on a regular basis are we converting them are we actually making the phone calls you know, am I, do I have people who are getting um, distracted by one big deal and then not uh, executing what they need to execute on all of the other things? I think of that story, uh, you could say that story for every vertical in a company, product development. Are we listening to our customers? Are we talking to them often enough? Are we really hearing what their pain points are or are we just kind of giving them lip service? Are we showing them and spending time with them where we're going so we can we get their feedback to, to understand if it's a good way to go. That's the same with our technology people. Are do we have the most the, the smartest technologies for our customers? Sometimes you have situations where a customer wants a certain technology, even if it's not the best thing if you were reading CIO review, but it works for their infrastructure. So instead of just saying, Hey, you know, this is what we're gonna give you but really understanding what their needs I think these this kind of basic, you know, the, the cliche is blocking and tackling. But these little things, the details, are what makes the difference between a good growth company and growing and creating a good company versus
0: just kind of meandering. Yeah, yeah, I I think that those are awesome examples because. um, So I had. Have you heard of Mark Daniels at all before? Or a company called Results BI? Yeah. Have you heard of them at all? I have. Oh, okay, cool. And um, yeah, I mean, he he talks about how, on average, only five percent of companies execute on their strategic plan annually and it's because of execution (laughs) you know what i mean so um so yeah so it makes a lot of sense and i think it's great how you reference it across all different lines of the business so um okay so let me let me uh ask you a couple quick fire questions and then we can kind of wrap because we're just about up on time so so who's who's the number one uh founder or ceo that you look up to or follow right now
1: oh that's a good question I'm not really a look up to kind of
0: guy um you say follow you know, or admire or whatever appreciate oh, you know? I,
1: I, I listen to <laughs> to Elon and I have some appreciation for him as a glass breaker for sure um I definitely um you know read about Bezos I think he is a culture first guy which is who i like to to think i, I am uh, and I, I i pay attention to that i i look at um a bunch of different leaders for different skills and different um different things they do well because no one does everything well and so i'm always i'm always reading about different guys and trying to figure out well, how i can incorporate that or maybe i don't like that um so I, i'm look i read about a lot of different guys or girls. okay
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. those are all, all greats that you mentioned uh is there a favorite show or podcast that you have
1: Quite honestly, I mean, I listen to NPR pretty much every day. My it's my it's my, my drive time to be able to just kind of understand the basics uh, of what's happening in the world. I read I read Bloomberg uh, or at least Bloomberg. Uh, um, I, re- I read their morning morning um, emails every day. I read The Hustle, which I'm a big fan of. The Hustle is oh, yeah, you know, I read The Hustle
0: too. Yeah, I like The Hustle.
1: I'm a, I'm a very early uh, Hustle adopter. Uh, I like mm-hmm. I think they're great. Uh, you know, as as with anything, as you get older and you get busier and you have more responsibility, I have less time than I like to be able to spend on those things. So I'm more of uh, reading short, encapsulated uh, articles or bits and and making sure I stay current.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like the hustle. Hustle's got some good stuff in it. So um, okay, so my my kids love the shower thoughts uh, section because they they love the uh, the humor within there. So um, okay, so. Um, what about, what's the best book you've read over the past couple of years?
1: Extreme Leadership. It's a book by oh, a couple of Navy Norman, SEALs. Right? Yeah, it's by a couple of Navy SEALs. And I just, for me, I think it was incredibly poignant to think about leadership in a life or death situation as opposed to, eh, if I don't do the right thing, they're just not going to like me. You know, it kind of makes, uh, makes one really appreciate the impact of poor leadership.
0: Okay, love that. What's your favorite online tool that you couldn't live without besides, like, email?
1: (laughs) Uh, It's probably, it's either going to be the B in the New York Times or chess.com. I do the B. Do you know the B? No, no. The B is a New York Times game that's in the same section as the crossword puzzle. You have seven letters, and you have to make as many words as you possibly can with using the middle letter in every single one and at least a four letter word and um, when you first start playing it uh, the top level is called genius when you get enough points but there's an unwritten level called queen bee when you get every possible word and oh, nice. uh, i first thing i do when i wake up every morning starts to get my mind moving
0: uh, as i do the b wow okay i've never heard of that and then Last but not least, where do you see the future of of tech going? I see.
1: I mean, I think that if you think about um, B2B tech and about solutions provided, not B2C or others, I think it's a lot of us about integration and about insights. You'll hear lots of people talking about NLP and about AI, but in my mind, those haven't really provided really predictive analytics or insights yet. I think that smart companies are integrating much broadly, uh, more broadly and much more deeply to get deeper data sets to be able to give much deeper insights to the customers. And I see that happening across industries.
0: Excellent. Well, this is great having you on Craig. I really appreciate it. Um, Where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you and Metaspend? Definitely
1: find us, uh, find Metaspend at uh, metaspend.com. You can also find Metaspend on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, Craig Haubin, uh on LinkedIn and uh, follow my post if you feel like it.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for being on the show, Craig. It was a pleasure.
1: It was great to meet you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for checking out the scale up show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering